There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. The Hunting Collective is presented by Element. I guess I grew up on an older road. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 157. Phil? Six. Damn it. All so right, close. 156. Cut that out. 156. Of the Hunting Collective, I'm Ben O'Brien, and you've heard the voice, the lovely velvet voice of Phil T. Engineer. What's going on over there? Oh, not much. I think we've got some more snow rolling in. Are you excited? Is, yeah. uh, nah, nah, not really. Yeah, me neither. Uh, yeah. I'm going to take up skiing this year, for sure. See, uh, I, I, I've been saying that as well. Maybe we should go together. Yeah, maybe we should hit the <laughs> slopes together. Is that what they uh-huh. say? Yeah. The kids say, shred some gnar together. Yeah, I think that's what the kids say. Um, I, I'll do it. I, I mean, I've skied a few times in my life, but never been very serious. But now that I live basically right next to a ski resort, I feel like, why the hell am I not doing it? Something to do in the wintertime besides ice fishing, which, let's be honest, is boring as hell. Um, all right, to, to begin the show here, we got Giannis Patelis, Ask the Eagle, one of our most popular shows that we do. And we bring on Giannis the Eagle Patelis. And we let you guys call in and ask him and me questions. We had a bunch of good ones um, this time around. Had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, learned a lot of things. Um, I was able to actually describe a gentleman's deer skinning setup without ever meeting him because he's from Pennsylvania and I grew up near there and I know how it is. So stay tuned for that. I always enjoy having Yanni. And we were actually back in the studio, which I will tell you made me quite happy to be around other humans. It was great. It was great. So to, to, to begin this, Phil, uh, Joshua Butler wrote in. He said, uh, pine tree, lavender, and sarlock pit. Are those your candle flavors? We had a lot of people guessing your candle flavors. Are they flavors or scents? 
their scents. I do not eat the candles. Um, don't eat them. Don't eat the candles. They do not taste as them. good as they smell. Um, first off, pine. Yes, love mm. to fill my house with that woody, that woody pine smell. Lavender, no, but um, I do love lavender. It's one of my favorite candles when it's not the holiday season. Mm. You, you know, um, it's a great just just the the classic relaxing scent. Um, yeah. It's always yeah. a go-to. This, this might be the lowest moment of this show ever. And we have uh, gone so f- Sarlacc Pit, uh, you know, I have not smelled a Sarlacc Pit. I can't imagine it, they that, that they smell good. Um, yeah, most most pits in general don't smell good. Nope. I've never. Ben, do you know what what a Sarlacc Pit is? Uh, no. I'm uh, looking at oh, it's a Star Wars thing. <laughs> I thought. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I just Googled it. It's a Star Wars thing. It's the thing that Han Solo like falls into, right? Well, well, Boba Fett falls into it. And hold on. Spoilers for The Mandalorian. Five, Doesn't four, three, two, one. Boba Fett gets out of the Sarlacc pit. He's in The Mandalorian on Disney Plus right now. <laughs> he gets out of there? He gets out of no there. No one can die in the writer's world. Exactly. <laughs> they just write him right back into existence. I know. Some more action figures. Uh, Sarlacc pit. I didn't know. I thought that was some kind of candle. So now, nope. color me two two weeks in a row. I've been made to look stupid. Maybe not. Maybe every week in a row. I'm not real sure about that. Um. All right, moving on. I had. I really had no idea what that was. <laughs> uh, Could I should have known it was Star Wars. This hunting podcast is no longer even remotely about hunting. We are. We are gone. It's gone. We're off the rails. I apologize um, on Ben's behalf for including me. Not you know, no, no, no. The listeners are going along with it, which I like. I mean, I like that they're doing that. All right, Phil, we have to move to a bit of breaking news and, and maybe a controversy. On this show? Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, we have listener Greg Morse. You know Greg from the Great American Outdoors Contest. He's the one that made you laugh by prank calling Onyx and asking if you could see where the deer are. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. And also... That was great. And also prank calling first light. So that got him a winning prize. Now, it took us a long time to get him first light gear, admittedly, but he finally got it. And he wrote me an email that says, thanks again so much for the gear. I got it last week and have been using it when I can get out. I really appreciate you guys hooking me up. I can't do much, but here is my thanks to you, Ben. And then this video. Hello, Mr. O'Brien and first light. I just want to say that I'm very, very appreciative of all the gear that you sent me for winning the uh, uh, Great American Outdoors Act competition. Honestly, I was expecting uh, just like a few things, but you guys gave me so much freaking gear. It's awesome. I used it the other day. It was awesome. Uh, it was in the middle of that rain snowstorm. My old pants, like by the time of it, my crumb would turn into pee caca. So it was awesome. They kept me warm. I was dry. Um, didn't rock a Melvin the whole day. Um, so just as a thank you, uh, to return the favor, um, to Ben for doing that for me as a proud member of the cult, our dear leader, I just wanted to show you with my super skills that I have. So you got, you know, Thurgood Marshall, uh, you got some good architects. And then if you were to scroll down, look at that. Ben O'Brien, 
Writer and editor. Right there, sandwiched in between old Mel Kuyper counting down the draft picks and uh, Scott Van Pelt running down the top ten. I think you're in good company. So it's Greg Morris in his house thanking us, and then he shows us, as you heard in the video, that he went into the People from Maryland Wikipedia list and inserted my name under authors and journalists. To say that I feel like a real celebrity right now would be an understatement. Phil, I feel famous. How do you, how's your reaction to me finally making it after years and years of trying, finally making it on the people of Maryland Wikipedia page? Well, I mean, at first I thought you were com- completely unqualified, but then I went to go look at the list. And there are people on here I have never heard of. I don't know why I would or should have heard of them. So I'd say you belong here. I belong here. I belong here. Now, when we first got this video, I didn't go to the People of Maryland page. I just assumed that I would be on there forever. I don't know much about Wikipedia. I'm not an expert. I just assumed that because Greg Morris felt compelled and other THC folks felt compelled to put me on there, that I would stay on there forever. I don't know. I don't know what could be a better vote of confidence for Wikipedia than that. But, Phil, uh, they, they removed me, didn't they? They took me off. You're gone. What the <laughs> hell, man? Now we have a controversy. Now, what do we have to do? What does the THC cult have to do to get me on there permanently? Do you know the rules of Wikipedia? Because now I'm determined to be on there beside folks like Pat Brown, Mark Davis, Marianne Givens. Who are these people? I deserve to be there. Bronza Parks, who apparently was a boat builder. Yeah, I am. I have never built in a bow, but I've built a cult, <laughs> and that deserves to be on the Wikipedia page. I have hunted, I have killed, I have eaten, I have done all the things that you need to do to be on a <laughs> list of people from Maryland. Yeah, killed and Wikipedia eaten. page. I don't know what else I have to do. I'm 35 years old. I deserve to be recognized for all my feats. And Greg Morris tried to do it. And he got denied by, you know, probably the liberal media or, or Trump or uh, <laughs> hypocrites in Silicon Valley, something yeah, like that's that. It. it was probably Paul Bashir. He probably went in there and uh, removed me. This goes all the way to the top. It goes all the way <laughs> to the top. And so I need THC to react to this with the full force of your might. And get me on for permanently the list of people from Maryland Wikipedia page. We must firebomb this page. All right. We won't bemoan this any longer. But let me just say, before we get to the eagle, we got some other stuff to do. If you love me as much as I think you do, like what, what do we have to do, Phil, if we just keep putting it in there for the rest of the time until they just get tired of removing it? You think it's a you know battle of... Uh, just, just how long just can we force. hold out? Yeah, to force or or is there? Do we write a letter to Wikipedia? You know, I don't, I don't know if the force method will work because I think Wikipedia they have like algorithms to pick that stuff out. Like if someone is is like repeatedly adding something that they don't want to be there, I, I think that just makes them more angry. Uh, well, well, can we apply? I don't. To I, listen, I don't have a solution, man. Well, what if we put something different behind the comma of my name? 
That makes it seem more important. Uh, philanthropist. That's right. How many charities do you give to every year? Oh, a couple, two, maybe three at least. There, there you go. Well, maybe just cult leader. Would that be? I mean, that's enough, right? I think you had to put some stuff in front of it. Author, writer, editor, you know, journalist, hunter, cult leader. Like at the end, that's kind of like the period to the sentence. Well, know? see, I think that's. I think you should lead with cult leader. I think that'll. I think that might bring you to the top. Next thing I know, I get a Netflix documentary. Yeah, exactly. That's right. All right. All right. Now, just play the jingle, Phil. Work sharp, not so sharp moments. Sharp so you don't have to be. Season two. Yeah. Not so sharp moments. George Barlow wrote in. Uh, George, big fan of the show. George uh, wrote a poem. This is, is this the first not so sharp poem, Phil, that we've ever had? Man, there's been so many poems now, I don't remember what category they fall into, but uh, it might be. I'm going to write a fucking poem to Wikipedia. There you go. Cult, right. cult leader and poet, Ben, ben O'Brien. Oh, yeah. Poet, editor. Yep. Uh, okay. George Barlow. "'Twas a few days past Christmas, and the ground was aglow with 22 inches of powdery snow. It was a great day for boarding, and the decision was tough, but instead of a snowboard, I grabbed my hunting stuff. I picked up my shotgun and was met at the door by Beasley, my faithful chocolate Labrador. I knew the Palouse Hills would be covered in snow, and I just knew where the pheasants were likely to go. I had to meet my brother. I couldn't be laid out the door. I checked the mercury. It almost hit eight. Frigidly cold, but still well worth going. It was a blue sky day now as the snow had stopped snowing. After a harrowing drive, we reached our destination. The dog bounded out needing no invitation. At the first Hawthorne thicket, he put up some birds. My brother shot the first and second, and I got the third. Then we hit the creek, which wasn't too wide. With a good solid leap, I could reach the other side. I unloaded my gun, checked it once and then twice. With the action still open, I leapt over water and ice. I landed across but continued to go. Before I knew it, I was lying face first in the snow. When I stood up, I found out, to my dissatisfaction, a great deal of snow had filled up my action. I used my finger to clear what I could, but there was snow up the barrel, and that wasn't good. Luckily, the snow was so light and fluffy, it would surely come out with a little huffy puffy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was stretching it there. Yeah, that was... was, uh, (laughs) some, Some clear and concise editing would help this. <laughs> I'll just blow it out with some air from my mouth. <laughs> I'll just blow it out with some air from my mouth. I'll just blow down the barrel, and that's when things headed south. I realized that this might not be my moment of glory, as I had flashbacks of Ralphie, a flagpole, and a Christmas story. My brain said, don't do it, but the message was sent. It was traveling down my neurons. I couldn't repent. My lips hit the barrel, felt pain, and went numb. And I thought to myself, oh, damn, I feel dumb. With my lips firmly frozen to the end of the barrel, I couldn't shout or swear or sing Christmas carols. I knew then and there what couldn't be done. I threw open my mouth and left some lips on the gun. I'm not proud of that day or the events that took place. And the fact that I removed part of my lips from my face. But now I am wiser because I'm getting old. Advice to you youngsters, 
Don't lick metal. That's cold. Play the jingle, Phil. Work sharp, not so sharp moments. Sharp so you don't have to be. Season two. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing, Phil. An amazing, amazing (laughs) master poet, George Barlow. Yeah, I thought that was going to go to a dark place when he said he knew what had to be done. And I was like, no, don't. Um, <laughs> don't, don't do it. <laughs> but luckily, I'm glad that uh, he he helped himself. Um, I'm still laughing at Huffy Puffy. That's <laughs> <Just laughs> incredible. <laughs> incredible writing there. Oh, George Barlow. Well done, sir. Uh, well done. That matches my little ditty on the Meat Eater podcast the Christmas special last year. And maybe even gets gets past it quite a bit. So... Thank you, George, and for this wonderful feat of poetry in the outdoor variety, you're going to receive a WorkSharp field sharpener from our friends at WorkSharp. Please keep sending in your not-so-sharp moments. We are going to do a contest in two weeks to, to give away some wonderful not-so-sharp moment gear from WorkSharp. That's something that will sharpen a knife for you. We're going to, Phil and I are going to rank and then vote on the best not-so-sharp moments of the year couple of weeks here in our last show of 2020 so stick around for that and also while you're at it head on over to the workshop youtube page for weekly sharpening tips including yours truly from a couple weeks ago uh keep keep them sharp for the holiday season with our friends at workshop that that man that's a late entry phil but that might make it into the top uh not so sharp moments of the year do you feel it has a chance oh yeah it's got a it's got a shot for it's sure. got a real shot. It's got a shot to take the prize. Um, so, George, if you're listening, uh, get ready, buddy. You might, you might be receiving some presents from your boys, THC. So we won't keep this much longer. We're going to keep it short today because we have the great and powerful Giannis Patelis. Ask the Eagle all of your calls. Coming right at you. Enjoy. Giannis Patelis, it's good to see you, man. What's up, Ben? I haven't seen you in so long, other than on the Zoom or like actually on the YouTubes. I haven't. Seen I thought you. we just did one of these. But yeah, how it long been has it been? Long ago? Yeah, it's been like a month, maybe more, way more. It was in October. That's December. Oh yeah, because we were talking about how bad your September hunts were. Archery season was. Yeah, and then October got a little bit better, and then uh, November, non-existent. It just didn't happen. Mostly because of COVID, though. Oh, yeah. 100% because of COVID. I got a day and a half in the breaks. Saw 100, 100 deer in two days, not a mature buck amongst them. And then got the COVID. That was it. Mm. Haven't been out since. I still have the, the, the lung damage is still pretty... pretty. You're uh, still feeling it, Still huh? feeling it. I took the, my little son out to... We were building a fort out by the river. It was, you know, just as a cool thing to do. A little mm-hmm. fire in there or whatever. And the other times we've been there, it's easy. It's easy to get to. But last time we went, I was like, I had to. We got home. I had to lay down and rest. Felt like an old, old man, dude. I know. So I don't want to be a COVID alarmist or anything like that. But um, no, know. man, it's good to get people's stories out there because somehow, for some reason, there's, there's uh, plenty of people who I, I, I personally believe are being quite selfish with the way that they're treating the whole situation. Because they're looking at only how it affects them, and not, uh, I don't know, man. I just look at it as like a like a patriotic thing. I, I'm with if you. If we all just gotta chip in and I'm get her you. done, like yeah, you know, World War Two. 
you know, we Rosie the Riveter. My, I feel like, you know, when people that make it a civil liberties thing, I get you. I'm all civil liberties. I'm all for civil liberties. But I also drive on the right side of the road, even though I pay for the whole road. And I wear my seatbelt and I go to the speed limit. Right. I like I'm to just, bring up that uh, that argument with the speed limit. It's like, well, you follow the speed limit, don't you? And that's, that's someone asking you to do that. They're not, you know, they, they can ticket you for it. But really, what's the speed limit? The speed limit is to keep everyone safe. And to say, like, we all agree that this is a reasonable speed to go to keep everyone safe. And the other rule we have is don't be inebriated when you're doing the when the driving. That's a rule. All those are public safety measures. That's mm-hmm. all they are. And I think we've just politicized this this particular public safety measure. That's not hard at all to do. <laughs> it's not no. so easy. Um, philosophically, I get the argument, but just from a tangible daily life thing, how much it helps, I'm not a doctor, but if it helps a little bit, then it's worth it, I think. So as somebody who went through it, I mean, I definitely didn't get it at a rave or anything. I got it in the Missouri breaks, hunting with one other dude, you know. So I, it, my, my, uh, my example is not, not great in that way, but, um. Just in general, everybody's talking about it. It it affects all our lives. And um, after I got COVID, I started thinking, like, what can I do for other people to make sure that they don't have to experience this? Because it it was, it wasn't just not fun. It was awful. Yeah, you got it bad. Yeah, I got like even the 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 physical and mental issues that I've had because I got really confused a lot after it. Um, Had ringing in my ears and things like that. Still do. Um, But just what I saw my family have to go through, you know, just on the back end because they all got it too. So, yeah. Dude, I just got a uh, email from my father-in-law who has an, an acquaintance, 57 years old, not even 60. And she and her husband got it. She passed away. He made it barely. 57. It's like this, COVID is like a tornado. It just like goes into your town and like wrecks one house and pulls the shingles off another house and wrecks the next house down the street. And like, and then the, how, how we figure that out is because I had been dude, I had been taking zinc, vitamin D, a huge dose of vitamin D as big as I could take. And a big dose of vitamin C for like six or seven months to the point where I got COVID. So you're just doing that just to be preventative. Yeah. Just to, just you like vitamins. I never take vitamins. I hate taking pills altogether, but I did for this because I, I felt like it was, I needed to boost my immune system and stay as healthy as I could. Didn't help you none. Didn't help me none at all. In fact, now I'm like vitamin D. You gonna get vaccinated when it shows up? I'm in the Ooh, immunity. He's thinking, but I'm in the immunity thing. So I, I think just for again, think about other people. I would. Oh, but let's just say there was plenty for everybody. If there's plenty for everybody, yeah, sure, You're fine. In. Oh yeah, I mean, whatever. I, I, I like to hear that. Yeah, I'm gonna I mean, get. I'm gonna get one too. As soon as I can. But a dude, I certainly would understand if somebody said, I'm a little nervous about it. I'd be like, no, this is something to be nervous about. Like, it's not something just to go. Well, yeah, I heard today me. that they had a couple folks that have allergies uh, that got their shot yesterday in uh, Great Britain. They had some some bad uh, yeah. Yeah, precautions. Yeah, vac- so vaccinations, vaccinations aren't like, aren't a thing that fixes it for everyone. It's, it's yet another measure to, to, you know, take a step forward in how we fight it. But yeah. Hopefully get the herd immunity. Get that. We got to get that herd immunity. Well, you know, screw you, COVID. We're moving on. Ask the Eagle. We're back. It's been it's been a little while, and you've been out there ripping it up in the woods. And I don't even know, like, what the success what, what have you? What's happened? Anything? Well, my November had 
late November, late October through November, I did have a couple skunkers. Mm. I did. I'll be honest with you. Like full bad hunts so that you didn't no, see much? No, 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 okay, no, no. Okay, okay, good. I, um, I had great hunts, enjoyed myself immensely. But if you're going to be like a YouTube uh, commentator that's like, don't even bother watching it because they didn't shoot nothing, then uh, you're going to be disappointed. But uh, hopefully, uh, you know, the people involved and uh, just watching them, do their thing. And I wouldn't even call them like, str- we didn't even really struggle. It just like didn't quite come together, you know, which happens a lot hunting. That is The hunting. one tag I had, man, I passed like, I don't know, 30 or 40 bulls on in your the first elk. week. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah you were there yeah. for a little bit. I was there for a And then I went back for four days thinking, you know, it wouldn't be that hard. You got it dialed in. I didn't see an elk. What? In four days. Weather or just you just... Weather, pressure, you yeah. know. When I was leaving, when I, I came and stopped in camp there for that one little morning, I was leaving. There was a dude checking in like a 380 bull right in town there. That's what I was looking for. They he were was, they're around and, you know, I keep telling everybody I'm not going to have a tag like that again for quite some time. So I had to give it my all to possibly come home. And I wasn't, I would have shot a much less than a 380, but like, you know. Even in those last four days, my goal was just to shoot a bigger one than I've ever had before, yeah. which is just 300-ish. Yeah. So, I didn't know about that area in terms of trophy class, but now you know. after I saw, I saw two two bulls and two uh, backs of trucks. That was like, whoa, Yanni was, mm-hmm. he was dialed in the right thing. And plus, when you just make a bet, man, like you just made a bet and I'm going to, I'm sticking to this. This is what I want. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-mm. Nothing wrong with that at all. Um, what else? Uh, November, I was in Wisconsin, got to white tail hunt with my dad during the rut. Super fun. He got a shot. Um, I did not. I got very close. I drew back on a couple bucks, but just didn't come together for me. Um, and then, oh, I did go to Colorado, and I got to hunt fourth that. season in Colorado, <laughs> which, number one, you don't get to do often. But this was even better because they their season structure just changed. And so fourth season was roughly a week later than it's been for decades. I mean, decades. So, like, everybody that got to hunt fourth season this past year and the next, whatever, four years, I guess, until the season structure changes again, is going to be hunting later than they ever have. You know, third season is going to be like what fourth season was. So it was really cool just to be able to like really witness full-on mule deer migration yeah. and mule deer rut. I was going to say, like, where was the rut? Do you feel like it was on the oh. later, on, on the we, nose? Uh, again, I had a lot of warm temps this fall and we had them down there in Southern Colorado too. And during when it was cool, if it was cloudy, if it was early, if it was late, it was on. But it just got warm enough every day that it just put Shut them down. to bed, you know, and they would just be bedded down. And even then, you'd get a buck stand up and go push a doe around here, here or there. But I just feel like had it been instead of like hitting close to sixty every day, if it had only gotten like right at forty every day, I think we just would have had deer on their oh. feet all day long. Yeah, so, we yeah. Had, are my one and a half pre-COVID mule deer hunting days. There was deer everywhere, but it was fifty degrees, and I just thought, give me a cold snap, and it's on, and then. I got COVID, never got to go back. They had the cold snap, and I had more people send me bucks they shot in that area than I would even <laughs> thought I would know people that even would go there. So I'm I'm there in my COVID lockdown going, ah! just want to, I could hunt alone. Nobody would get COVID from me if I never saw a person. Um, so yeah, frustrating. But I'm glad you got that done. That was a nice buck. 
No, it was dandy, man. Especially for her last day buck. Hell yeah. Yeah, you know, and again, I'd made a bet and I'd let like a buck that was very close to that buck pass the day before. And uh, so being in the last day, (laughs) man, I was feeling the pressure. Let me just say this. There's a bravery. There's a certain courage and bravery that comes with filming a hunt, knowing you need, you knowing you need an ultimately something for people to see, some excitement, but still holding out anyway. Yeah. So there's, that's courageous, I would say, because there's... There's a little bit of stupidity involved too. That you know? too. That too. But, uh, when I was uh, just a writer back when I was working for magazines, there was the photo buck. Was this idea that if you got sent on a, a assignment story on a on a trip that you needed to kill something to pay off the story, you would write in the magazine. So there's photo buck or photo bull in any case. Like if you saw something that was representative and and you could kill it, you kind of had to. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that always changed the game. You know. Oh, no, for sure, man. Filming stuff is, uh, it, it makes it, it adds in a, it complicates it, I should say. Yep. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where Land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Well, we got some some Ask the Eagle. We got a lot of Ask the Eagle emails, so thank you for everybody that, that uh, follows Giannis on social media. And I think we got over 100 emails from, from folks. Dang. A lot of good stuff. That means 
as the Eagle has plenty of material to continue into the future. So if we don't call you in the next hour, if you're out there and we haven't called you yet, we might. We might be coming for you. So get ready. But we have four excellent questions and callers, and we're going to try to, as we do on the Ask the Eagle, reverse engineer the call-in show where we call the callers instead of them calling us. So let's try the first one here. Hello, this is Trey. Hey, Trey. Ben O'Brien, Giannis Patelis. How's it going, man? Hey, what's up, guys? So you're in Ohio, right? Is that right? Yes, sir. I am in Ohio. And you have a particular issue. I like this quite. I like what you wrote in. I like what you emailed in because I feel like there's a lot okay. of a lot we can do with this. Um, but say hi to Giannis, the Eagle Patelis. What's up, Trey? Hey, Yanni. How's it going, man? What's uh, What's your question, Trey? As Ben said, I'm in Ohio. Um, I in 2018, just a little brief background. 2018, moved from Ohio to Colorado to live and work. Um, and just get involved in that lifestyle. Back in Ohio now, um, I, I have a job offer again to go to Colorado. How long did you make it in Colorado the first stint? About two years. Huh. And then what, just a better job brought you back to Ohio? Yeah, I'm a geologist, wanted to work in remediation, got the opportunity, uh, jumped on it. So yeah, back in Ohio now. I see. Um, so yeah, um, I guess it's more of a request for advice than a, a formal question, but um, you know, I'm wondering whether it's, it's worth the trade to uproot my life again. Um, you know, move out West, that trade being lower cost of living, the Midwest has, uh, versus somewhere like Colorado, um, you know, for the hunting opportunities and lifestyle that the West provides. This is a deep one. I like this one. Yeah. It's tough, man. Cause I did it and did I it. love it. Yeah, <laughs> like, I but love Denver, it. man, Denver's a tough Ugh. one. Like if you said you had a spot up in the mountains, I'd be like, go for it. But Denver, did you you lived in Denver when you when you were there in 2018? Yes, sir. That's the tough part. I was in Golden, and you know, the cost of living is just it's just up there. If you like yeah. like the breweries and there's like Mount Evans is right there. There's a lot of good stuff right in there. Yeah, but, there, mm-hmm. but just the amount of people. It's a lot of people. Like, I don't know how a big of a people. town you live in in Ohio, but, man, Denver's like a big place, a lot of traffic. Not for me. Yeah. You should start. It with, is, man. It's... Where in Ohio are you? Um, don't have to guess your address, but, like, where are you and what's it like there? <laughs> so I live outside of Columbus right now, um, but I grew up on a farm in southern Ohio. So, you know, we have a big 500-acre farm that I can hunt on there. Um you know, I live close to the airport here. You know, a lot of things I'm tossing around in my head um, about, you know, if I do have that lower cost of living here, it's a lot easier. I have a lot more resources to put towards hunting. Are you well off enough? I, I imagine you are as a geologist. That's that, a high paying. Yeah, that's yeah. like being a, a pitcher in the major leagues. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Wow, um, thanks for that. That uh, that you can afford like an annual or maybe even a uh, biannual trip out west to uh, enjoy some hunting. Yes, sir. Actually, in fact, um, I got to do a, a decent hunt uh, this past year. Um, so it's something I'm you know hoping biannual. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, even the, those of us that live here, it's like Ben. Well, Ben had <clears throat> COVID issues this year, so he couldn't. Didn't get as much hunting as he wanted to. And we obviously, because of our jobs, we get to hunt more than the average. But I bet the average guy that 
lives in Montana. He still only hunts out here a solid 14 days. You know, I mean, sure, maybe you get some more weekends thrown in and whatever, but, like, if you can pull off, like, a solid archery elk hunt in September and then maybe whatever, come out for a ski vacation or come out to do some beaver trapping, whatever oh, floats yeah. your boat. Yep, yep. Um, it just depends on how much you need of it every year, you know? Because the two two weeks of Western Rocky Mountain fun – Pretty good. That might, yeah, that might be all you need. Pretty good. I do I do like that. And I've always had that in my own head, too. That's why I like this question maybe so much, because it's helping me out, too. Because you could have, like, you could have a nice little cabin out here. You save up, you know, get a little cabin in the middle of nowhere with some national, you know, on an acre with some national forest nearby. Have that be a little right. homestead. Or just get a camper. Whatever. Um, and spend, like, the time in the West where when you need to be here, you know, middle of September and early November or whatever when when you're not chasing whitetails. And I'll go back to the Denver thing again. It's like when you're, <laughs> if you're living, like I lived up in uh, Eagle County when I lived in Colorado, and there it was literally out my back door. So when you have the free time, you're like, bam, you're in it. You know, you're loving it. But Denver, I mean, sure, there's foothills and this, that, and the other, but it's just not the same experience for me personally. Um, you know, you're having to put in, an hour, maybe two, three to get into yeah. the mountains and get away from people. Um, yeah, my brother lives in Westerville. Is that near you, Trey? That's that's 10 minutes away. Wow, maybe you know him. <laughs> um, but maybe yeah, I, it's a cool, like, he, yeah, he enjoys living there. And there's big right. bucks close by. I'm sure you know big that, Trey. Box. Big box. Big old box. <laughs> yeah, man. Right. And that's, you know, that's not to knock Ohio and, uh, the hunting in the East Coast, you know, it's, it's something I would do even if I lived in the West. Um, but I like the idea of a camper. That's something I hadn't really thought about. Um, you know, that's a good idea. And like, like you said, you know, Denver is just, uh, it's crazy. And even the hunting is, is crazy. You know, there's tons of people out when you go. So they are, I think CPW is working on that. We hunted there in a unit that had been very, very crowded years past. And then, uh, they, they made the archery, uh, licenses, um, just went away from being over the counter to a uh, to a limited amount. It was still a lot of licenses, but they basically made people choose like where are you going to hunt? You going to hunt here or hunt there? And that really really helped. Like we didn't see a tenth of the pressure that we had seen years past. So I think the CPW's working on, you know, spreading out that hunting pressure that people have been complaining about there for the last few years, but I don't know, man. I hope that helps. That's my take on it. I mean, it's not a bad choice. If you had to pick one or the other, Denver's got some good, it's got some redeeming qualities. Red Rocks is cool. You know, lots of, lots, Golden's has a cool little downtown. I've been hung out there a little bit, but um, only as a tourist. I've never tried to like uh, get around the commute times, place mm. like that. So Yeah. I'd have to choose Denver just because I have family there if I was really pressed. But if I didn't have family but yeah, there, you have family, I think, I, I think I'd go with the uh, 500 acre farm. And Trey, you're married, <laughs> but no kids, right? You said? Yes, sir. Married, no kids. Uh, that that played a part in moving back in Denver too. You know, yeah. want to be close to our family, having having kids uh, here. Hopefully, within the next year or two. Yeah, I was gonna say. Well, you know, don't be in a rush. <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> but yeah, also, I felt if you're in Denver and you were a single man, you'd be you'd have the prospects. But being married and wanting to start a family, small town life ain't bad for that. So, um, well, hopefully, we helped you at least. Uh, I wish we had a camper sponsor because we might have sold a camper. 
but uh <laughs> beyond that any sure other enough. anything we missed here anything we can do better no man nothing you missed uh you know i really appreciate the time and you know it's it's a uh, sort of an impossible question but i really appreciate the advice now it's a it's a fun one and either way you'll be uh, you'll still be hunting so there's no uh no downside there yeah, email us when you sure. have a decision so we can uh, follow up, let everybody know wh- which way you decided to go. Please. I will. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. All right, Trey. Thanks for everything, man. Talk soon. See hey, ya. Bye. Thank you. Take care. All right. Well, uh, we may have changed a life, Yanni. Do you feel kind of like Oprah-ish right now? A little bit? Oh, man. I'm not familiar with Oprah enough to know if I'm feeling Oprah-ish. You, don't... <laughs> you gave something to somebody. Yeah, I, I hope I hope that it, you know, helped his decision making a little bit. Have you been watching the back forty? Have you got it? You've yeah. been busy. Have you watched it? Yeah, yeah. Been did keeping you, up with it? Did you see the episode where we replayed your spritzing reaction? No, you replayed that. Yeah, episode three. They were we had uh, Tony Peterson on with Mark Kenyon, and they oh. were talking about how they were whitetail nerds mm. and like they were relating to each other via, "Oh, you're a nerd. I'm a nerd. It's great." And Mark brought up that, you know, you and Steve don't really understand the whitetail nerddom like those two gentlemen do. And then we replayed you laughing oh, I, at I Mark. think I understand it very well. Just okay, whether so or not I want to part- partake in it. <laughs> and so we replayed the bit about you laughing hysterically when I think hysterically is a good that's a good description. No, that was a very genuine laugh (laughs) when I saw him spray the camera down. He touched the camera. So what happened was you guys were checking cameras while you're squirrel hunting. Yeah. And so he touched the camera and then removed... How did he even have a a sent-away spray? Did he have it like in his vest? No, but you know what? I'm going to send him an FHF bear spray holster. For his little scent spray. Yeah, for his scent spray. So it's always on his uh, belt. And he always has it. You're a thoughtful guy. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I never even thought about where did he keep it. He's out hunting. Did he, he have a little he, spritzer? He, you know, in his... I think he had a backpack and he had it in his, in backpack. his backpack. Okay, yeah, that along makes with more his cards sense. and whatever else. <laughs> whatever else he has in there. It's flashcards. <laughs> um, no, no, no. It's camera cards. Oh, it's camera cards. I thought maybe he carried like big buck flashcards. Tell me which one this <laughs> is. Uh, so you laughed. Steve laughed. We all laughed. Everybody laughed. Um, and now we got a couple of emails from people that saw that. We had three different emails from people who saw that and wanted to know what was going on. So we're going to call a gentleman named Mark, see what he had to say. We've kind of already addressed this question, but we're going to, we're going to dive deep into it here with Mark. Hey, it's Mark. Mark, Ben O'Brien, Giannis Patelis. How's it going? What's up, Mark? Good. How y'all doing? Just living the dream, man. What are you doing? Um, man, just excited to be talking to y'all. Really? All right. Well, we we're here uh, answering questions, and Yanni's changing lives. Um, oh, as always. As always, just, just getting it in. Um, we know you had. We already kind of broached the topic of the back forty. So, just assuming that you've been watching the old back forty. Yes, I have been for sure. Okay, and you saw a scene there where Yanni was laughing yeah. at Mark. Uh, and so, yeah, take it from there. Yeah. All right. Um, so in, I think it was episode three of the back 40, uh, Yanni and Mark and Steve were out hunting squirrels and scouting out the land. And Mark decided to take it upon himself to use that time to grab some trail cam, uh, cards. Um, and while he was buttoning up one of the cameras, uh, he went ahead and sprayed 
the camera down with a uh, scent cover, uh, to which uh, Yanni's reaction, which is classic, um, um, <laughs> responding to, to that to that scene. Now, I think, I don't know, Mark, as well as, as y'all do, obviously, he probably has some OCD tendencies, um, from what I, from what we can tell, correct. Uh, but this obvious this this obviously broaches a subject uh, that, in my mind, where um, Giannis, you certainly viewed that as a a line, an invisible line that was crossed, and that Mark maybe overdid overplayed his hand there, and so it's, I, it made me start thinking, like, okay, so maybe there is some thresholds that you can use when you do, you should or should not be using the scent cover. And what are those thresholds um, for, you know, practical and impractical uses. And yeah, that, that scene is just you, a lot of, a lot of what you do and say uh, makes me laugh. But that one, uh, when I first saw it, made me about fall out my chair uh, <laughs> when I watched it. So, uh, well, I think more than anything, he just caught me off guard. And it might have even been the sound, because it wasn't like a spritz sound. It was like a psh, like it was aerosol yeah. spray that, that he had in there. And it caught me off guard, you know, in that moment. You know, like you said, we're out there squirrel hunting, three dudes plus two camera operators. So we're throwing, laying down some mega scent. And... Uh, we're all standing right next to this camera, and then to all of a sudden for him to like go next level because he didn't want, you know, and I understand why he wants to do it, right? He like doesn't want that camera to smell like a human. And um, Mark and I, I, we actually did a uh, Wired to Hunt podcast a couple days ago, oh. and I was telling him about how I had a doe that I know didn't catch my wind because I was so high in a tree, I was on a ridge. And it was my wind was blowing, my scent was blowing off this ridge. Yet when she got to the base of that tree, she smelled something. And I think it was my climbing stick, you know? So maybe I should have taken, you know, Mark's little approach there. And when I put up that first climbing stick, you know, spray it down. And maybe it would have allowed her to at least pass by instead of spooking and going back the way that she came from, which may or may not have affected my hunt later. Yeah. Um, but look, man, I'm no, I'm no Joe Whitetail. Mark is, so he's got to answer the question about like the thresholds of you know how far you can take it. And I think you know I'll speak a little bit for Mark because I've heard him say it a lot. You know, to him, if if he does it all, and it happens to help just a tenth of a percent, and it buys right. him right. a half a second or a second in the moment, he will do it and he will gladly take it. Um, and he also tells me, which this is this this kind of hits home more than anything else. He's like, "Look, the guys that I know that are successful every year at killing mature bucks, all of them take their scent control very seriously." Yeah. So yeah, right. Um, and you know, maybe one day I'll get there. I hunted, you know, the whitetail rut this year for seven days, and. Uh, <clears throat> we bought some scent away spray. I think I quit spraying it about day three. <laughs> but, I, you know, we kept our boots outside. All of our exterior hunting yeah. garments were kept outside. Right. Uh, you know, I, I was trying to minimize, but again, we're hunting always with two people. And I just feel like I can spend more time thinking about my setup 
and to what the wind's going to be doing yeah. and just spend more time. I got a lot more to this, like dial in yeah. before I feel like the scent thing is going to really, really help me. Yeah, there's two things here. One, I think this is, if you're a single species hunter like Mark seems to want to be, or is, he is, you have time to like dive into the minutiae because that's all you think sure. about. But if you're like the rest right. of us who like to get out and hit a squirrel up every now and then, like like a nice waterfowl hunt, like the hunt elk. Like Maybe the hunt a mule deer. deer. Mark doesn't even know there's a deer, another deer in, yeah. in our country they called a mule the, deer. They look the same. They, you know, they, they're from the same stock. Um, so there, there's that part. Like he has the time because that's all he's thinking about. I don't have, like right. your mind has to be awash with other things when you're trying to move around and do different have different pursuits but also that's a rabbit hole man once you once you allow yourself to obsess over every minutia as a part of your strategy to kill deer you can obsess over any little thing and like you just said get yourself off track get yourself thinking about spritzing things and doing things that are helping a little and you're not thinking enough about the things that are helping a lot and so i don't think mark does that but i think if 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 you're just a normal hunter out there and you want to obsess over something there, there's some pitfalls. Is this helping, Mark? Is this helping, Mark? Yeah, no, that was great. I was just it really helps getting y'all's thought process behind that scene and what was going on. But yeah, and then getting into the details. No, I really appreciate that. Thank you. I'll t- I'll cap it off with this too: making content and making entertainment. Uh, some friction can yeah. oftentimes be good. Sure. And uh, and it, and it uh, it goes a long way. And uh, yep. You know. People love uh, hearing Steve and I, uh, you know, get after each other or whatever, have, you know, little disc- little discussions where we might not think, think the same way. And because um, if, if you don't do that, then it just it ends up having a very yeah. monotone feel and everybody's just going agreeing sure. with each other. And it's not much fun. Right. And not not only friction, but I mean, I've been in another episode I was really kind of rooting for you to kind of get one of the first deer out of the back 40 and uh, just seeing your reaction to Mark and being excited for him was really kind of a a cool moment because I know you wanted to get a deer as much as Mark did, but when he ended up getting it and you recognizing how much hard work he put into that entire project was just really kind of a cool thing that uh, an opposite from the friction side of it, but really, uh, really speaks to the community very well. And I think what y'all are trying to promote. Yeah, I mean, to the, to the point where, you know, we're going to rib each other, and I'm, I certainly, I am the one who ribs Mark Kenyon more than anyone on the earth. I always say he has a tall man's body and a small man, and a short man's face. Uh, and he accepts, he doesn't get mad at me for saying, do you think that, Yanni? He's very tall, he's like sneakily tall. When he walks in yeah, a room, he's my like, height. Yeah, he's six what? Two? Two or three? I mean, I guess I'm just maybe short. But when he walks, when I first saw him on YouTube, I thought, well, he must be a short guy. When he walked in the room, I... He was 6'3", and I just think he has a short look to him. His face looks short, <laughs> like he would be a short man. So I give him all kinds yeah. of crap all the time, but he knows, and, and Yanni and Steve know, that ultimately that, you know, what we're doing is supporting each other, you know, through, you wouldn't let anybody but your friend or somebody you know loves you and supports sure. you, you know, talk to you like that, treat you like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You know, so it's that, that understanding that helps it go. Well, Mark, thank you for watching all this stuff and hanging out with us. Thanks for asking questions, and this is one of my favorite scenes. Uh, and we did, I mean, when we wrote that episode, we were trying to figure out what would make that episode good with that squirrel hunt. We wanted to try to play out the fact that Mark just didn't understand why you would squirrel hunt in September. 
why you would right. That was, it, it was great. It was real. He didn't want to. We had to force him to do it. <laughs> we had to force him to do it. So nothing, nothing uh, prescribed about that. So thanks, Mark. We appreciate it, man. And um, have a good rest of the year. And a good holiday. All right, y'all too. Thank you, guys. See you, Mark. Bye. The back forty's over, man. That's it. I know it's a little sad, huh? A little bit. Yeah. Is it, is it public? Does everybody already know what the plan is? Well, when's this coming out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by the time this comes out, people will know that we're uh, donating the property to the National Deer Association, formerly the Quality Deer Management Association. That had, this is hard to get. That had merged. Is it Alliance now? Well, it, a... it was it was the National Deer Alliance. See, I can't. Uh, there's no way. It's National Deer Association because it was the Quality Deer Management Association and the National Deer Alliance. They merged to become the National Deer Association. See if you can get that straight. I think I just got it right. Um, we are donating that property, the 64 acres, and all the accoutrement to the QDMA slash NDA. Um, and so we're real excited about it. There's a lot of content we're going to make there. Um, and it was good, man. It was a good two years in the back 40. It's good. It was good to kind of have a place where we had to tell we were locked in, you know, because the shows that you've done with Steve and that you do immediate hunts, you can go, you can travel different dynamics, mm-hmm. you know, different people, different characters come in. But with the back 40, it was like, you have this land and, and whatever Mark can do with it. And that was, that was challenging. But in the end, it was cool to kind of track it all through a couple of years. Yeah. There's pros to it too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you know what you got every time. Yeah, and then plus you have history with everything and history that you've all recorded throughout that time. And we ended up kind of wanting to do it longer, but felt like there were a whole lot of other cool things we could do. All right, so we're calling we're calling Chaz here. I think it's Chaz, Captain Chaz, by the by. Ooh. Hello. Hey, is this Chaz or Chase? Well, how do you say C-H-A-S? I can never pronounce anybody's names. Yeah. Yeah, Chaz. Yeah, that's it. That's good. I got it. Chaz, this is Ben O'Brien and Giannis Patelis. What's going on, man? Hey, Ben. What's going on? Giannis, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. We we just noticed that it says Captain in front of your name. What kind of captain yeah. are what's you? What's up with that? Oh, Captain. Yeah, so uh, I'm a former U, uh, U.S. Marine Corps captain. I flew F-18s in the Marine Corps. Uh, I just uh, got out of the Air or, uh, Marines, and I'm in the Air National Guard now. Still as a captain. Now I fly F-16s. And you had offered to, in your email, be the pri- like, if we ever got like a mediator private jet, that you would be the pilot. Is that right? Oh man, talk talk about dream opportunity, dream experience, dream job, man. Yeah, if that ever happens, I'm your guy. Please don't lose my number. <laughs> All right. If anybody from the churning group's listening, <laughs> hook up so, that plane. So hold on, is, is, is that your just general plan that after you're done doing all this service, that you'll then just be you'll become a pilot in in the private? space yeah so in general and what most guys do is uh when when they get out of active duty and active service and they have a um a required number of hours built up flying the military aircraft you'll then get out and be eligible or competitive to apply for major airlines you know all your all your major carriers for your airlines or private pilots what have you uh so that's what uh, I'm doing now. So in the international guard, I can have the opportunity to be a part-time military pilot and still fly for the airlines. Well, because of what's going on now, I don't have, you know, the, many places aren't accepting any applications at this time, uh, just due to, due to, you know, the obvious, uh, you know, pandemic and so forth. So guys like me are having a hard time getting those kinds of jobs. Luckily we have the military as a backup, but, uh, it's just, 
just scares jobs in the pilot industry in general. Does does anybody ever say uh, the hell with commercial and just move up to Alaska and and run a bush plane for a few years? You know, uh, I don't know personally anybody who's done that, but it's looking like it's looking more and more appealing as the months go by without a job. Yeah, yeah, something you're forced to do. As a guy that flies around some super badass planes really, really fast that do amazing things, when you look, when you know a guy or, or you look at the whole like bush pilot scene, What's your take on that? Like, because for a lot of people, like a bush pilot's kind of like very, very cool. Oh, to me, is the ultimate. Yeah. Bush pilot always has a cool so mustache. Does an F 16 pilot also look at a bush pilot, someone cool, or, or, or what? Like, what's your take? Or like a garbage truck driver. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good question. You know, I never really thought about it too, like in, in detail. Like, hey, what is, the, what is the ranking level or like level of coolness that you are as a pilot? I mean, if, I feel like if you're not. If you're not a fighter pilot, a bush pilot's the next coolest thing on the list, or it might even be cooler. I'm not sure. But I don't know of anybody personally who's done the job. Uh, The very few guys I've met who've done that stuff when we do, we've taken, because we've taken the fighters up to Alaska. There's a lot of range space up in Alaska and Fairbanks that we've used. So that's the only time I've ever been to Alaska is doing that stuff. But we we get to hang out with those guys sometimes because they're they're all over the place. Uh, And they're, I mean, they're your blue collar, you know, um, your uh, heroes of the sky. So I mean, they're very cool dudes. I dig it. Yeah, I mean that's good to hear because I I've I've really have a lot of heroes that are like mustachioed flannel wearing bush pilots. A lot of them, a lot of them. Like the guy <laughs> the guy who uh, found Timothy Treadwell. I can't remember his name. He's cool. Met him one time. Um, but anyway, yeah, and we like a lot of maybe. a lot of skills at least when I, when I when I look at it. You know the places we've been dropped off and picked up from. Um, I'm always very impressed with what they're doing with those little planes. Oh yeah, I was in Northwest Territories one time, and the float plane pilot was the, you know, he's like, oh yeah, we go back and forth, we do this, we run this route, you know, three four times a day, and we do that six six months out of the year. I thought the level, the danger of that that person goes through on a daily basis is unbelievable, which I'm sure is the same for a fighter pilot, or or much worse. Those bush pilots are fearless. They have to be. I feel like. Yeah, is there a level of fear in what you do? I my, my brother-in-law uh runs runs fighter jets but uh he seems like a pretty just level-headed dude he never really talks about the feeling of of getting up in the air like that. You know, if uh, I'm sure everybody would tell you something different how they talk about it but I mean if you think about it if you're every time you go up you're not just we're not just flying someplace, you know, point A to point B. We're not just flying the airplane. We're doing you know, mission sets, running systems in the airplane, running weapon systems. And, and there's an objective every time you go up. So maybe if you actually sat back and thought about the big picture and what you're actually doing, maybe it would scare you a little bit more, but you're always so busy doing something that maybe you don't have time to be frightened by it all. But I mean, um, what, usually, you know, you're so well prepared to go out to do those things and, and, and you prepare long before and you brief and, and you think about it and you and you practice. So when you go do it, you're not really thinking about being scared. Maybe later you look back and go, oh, man, maybe I should have been scared here, but n- not in the moment. You know what I mean? Similar to podcasting. Yeah. yeah you don't well, really that know. was awesome, man. Thank you so much for calling in to tell us all about being a fighter pilot. And, yeah. uh so it's open. We can go down rabbit holes here. Who's the, up next, man? Eagle. <laughs> no, we're going to let, let uh, Chaz, Chaz on to ask this question. Now, I grew up in Maryland. Not too far from Pennsylvania. Where in Pennsylvania are you, Jess? 
Uh, I'm from I'm from near Pittsburgh, so a little town called Latrobe. You guys might know it for Rolling Rock beer and uh, Arnold Palmer. Arnold oh. Palmer, the beverage or the guy or both? Uh, the Arnold Palmer, the guy. Oh, okay. I'm glad I now know how to pronounce that. <laughs> Latrobe. True. Latrobe. Uh, I've driven through there a few times, but never never been. Or um, no, how'd you say it, Chaz? You didn't say Latrobe. You said Latrobe. So people who and and I, I get this almost every time. People who are from there typically say Latrobe, and if you're not from there, you say Latrobe. So uh-huh. I'm not. I don't know if it's correct one way or the other, but that's if if someone's from there, they say it one way. Yeah, you pick up your O's the way that that folks from where I come from do. O's, you know, Oreo, Natty Bow. That's that's how we. That's that's the uh, the classic East Coast draw, man. Yep, yep. Some would call it uh, a Pittsburgh accent. Yep, it's like it's Baltimore, yes, Pittsburgh. It's like that region. You know? Coincidentally, I bought a uh, thirty rack of the Rolling Rocks for uh, our most recent uh, elk hunting trip out to Eastern Montana, and uh, nice. Yeah, well, they weren't a big hit. <laughs> two two different people cracked one, and it must have been a long time since they had a Rolling Rock, and they went, "Is this stuff okay?" And I'm like, "What?" I mean. Wh- I'm like, yeah, you mean the skunkiness? Like, it's supposed to have, like, yeah, a little a bit little... of, like, not quite Heineken, but it's got, like, a little micro skunk to it. Yeah. And, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's anyways, more than half that Kate rack is still at my house. <laughs> <laughs> Chaz, if you ever come to Montana, it'll nice. probably still be there. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'll, oh, no, you get I'll, I'll, I'll make sure it finds a home. All right, we got to get to the actual questions here. We digress, but that's podcasting. Um, you had a good question, <laughs> Chaz. Fire away. Uh, okay, so... Um... So I'm Pennsylvania whitetail hunting. Uh, my dad and I, we have a camp in northern uh, Pennsylvania that we go up to, and we we go down to a, the same spot almost every year. We walk from uh, the road down into the woods, maybe like a mile uh, down to sit near a uh, near a river, the Clarion River to be specific. So it's not it's not that far in. It takes us about an hour to walk down, fully loaded with all our stuff. The terrain's not terrible, but it's it's um, it's not it's not an easy, super easy walk in. It's not like what you guys do up in the mountains and everything else. I mean, it, you can't even compare it. But every time we shoot a deer, uh, we 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 gut it out and we drag the thing out, and it takes us you know almost the whole afternoon to do so. And especially because my my dad's you know seventy two years old, so I do all of that stuff. So when we both shoot one which happened this past year, I do all of that, which, uh, which I'm happy to do, but, uh, I've never skinned and quartered the animal in the woods to try and pack it out. I'm wondering, should I just be doing that and make my job slightly easier and carry it on my back rather than try and drag it through the woods? So if you were me, would you skin it, quarter it, pack it out, or would you drag it and take, uh, and then hang it? back at your hunting camp to, to drain and everything before you skin it and quarter it. What would, what do you think? This is my childhood. So, but I'm going to let, I'm going to let, uh, let Yanni take, take the first crack. Um, a hundred percent. Yes. You should get in, You should start skinning and quartering oh, in really? the field. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Man. Listen, I think there's a place for dragging deer and if it's sure. mostly downhill or flat and it's not far, but what Chase just described it sounds like it's uphill, a mile approximately. Man, back in the day, Nebraska, 
you couldn't actually quarter them. You had to check them in whole. Oh. And so I, a couple of times, had drags that had to go up and down a ridge and then back up to the road or something like that. And same thing. You're just like, you can't train for that. I mean, it is just like the workout of all workouts. You just got to strip yeah. down to your the 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 base layer, have like special gloves because you're going to be like, you know, holding that rack in a hundred different positions by the time it's all over. And if you don't have like your rope system exactly dialed in, like, man, it is just so much work. And the way I look at it too, is that like, as long as you're going to keep it on the bone, I don't think you're really sacrificing too much by doing it in the field than waiting, you know, letting it hang for two, three, four days and then skinning and then quartering. Sure, you're going to get a little bit of dry crust on the outside that you're going to, you know, cut off and, and lose that meat. But I look at it like you're, you're, you're going to have to do that work at some point anyways. Like you got yeah. your deer, get it done, you know? Yeah. And, and if you do it right yeah. and take your time, you do it nice and clean. Um, sure, you got to pack some game bags. Um, but I mean, heck, a white-tailed deer can fit in just about a single game bag, um, maybe two. So you're not really packing that much extra with you. Um, okay. So yeah, I'm 100% with you. And I'd like to just add... I'm going to present before, the counterpoint before, here in a minute. Before, yes. before Ben uh, go, goes here, that Spencer Newharth, one of yeah. our local white-tail experts here That's at right. Meat Eater, mm-hmm. he... I told him he's got to give the whitetails a break because I think he's killed like four or five mature <laughs> bucks this year. I'm like, don't you want to broaden your horizon? He just shot a giant one. <laughs> a little bit. He shot a giant you know, one. Yeah, Kansas. he did. He, a really nice one. Probably drug it to the truck. He probably did. Yeah, he had a But yeah. he had a post recently where he killed one somewhere and he decided to quarter it and pack it out on his back. And I believe the post said something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing, but like, I will be doing this a lot more. I can't believe I haven't been doing this. Like, it's the way to go. And I see a lot. I watched a lot of deer hunting YouTube videos this summer in preparation because I was going to go hunt whitetails very seriously for the first time in a long time. So just to get fired up and see, yep. you know, see tips and tricks. And I saw a lot of videos where guys were in one mile, maybe two miles, and they're leaving the deer to go get a cart or go get like a bunch of dudes to help them drag this deer. And I'm like, man, if I was there, I would have had that thing quartered <laughs> into the truck before your first buddy you got even back, got yeah. there to help you. Like, what's yep. the point? Well, you know, listen, I agree. I agree with Chaz. Are you going to give me the, some tradition bullshit? Yes. <laughs> here's what, here's, here's the, and I think a lot of people in Pennsylvania, Maryland, where I came from, you go through this, this progression. When I was, when I was a youngster, Yanni, just, just. I'm listening. Just stick with me here. When I was a young man, we started hunting. I, I, I believe the progression was we were, in the beginning, we would drag the deer out by its antlers. One guy takes one side. One guy takes the other side. You generally would want to grab it down towards the base between the brow tine and, and where the the main beam goes. And, what would you do if it was a doe? Uh, by the legs. Then you grab by the legs. It's a little hard front to grab. Front legs. Front legs. Yep. Each. Um, and so you start that way. And we had a couple of instances where we literally dragged the deer so far, it all the hair was gone mm-hmm. on one side. Have you ever had that, Chaz, where you dragged it so far that all the hair was gone on one side? Yep. Just, yep. Yeah, everybody's. Definitely, definitely. 
We've all been there, except for Yanni. Well, yeah, because where I grew up, it was, uh, I guess we were always <laughs> just hunting oaks. Yeah. And it just seems like you're always dragging them through six inches of oak leaves, and those things slide very well. Yeah, we would be dragging deer through creeks, up and down hills, over ridges, through, you know, through meadow. It's it just, the longer you do it, the more you're just going to end up with, like, just hide on one side. Yeah. And that's not great. You don't feel great about what you've done to the, the meat or the deer when you hang it up and one side is mangled like that. You don't, you don't feel like that. So that's how we started. Because I'm going to get to the end goal of the traditional part here. but And then we progress to the drag rope. Mm-hmm. And, and Chaz will probably know this too. That there's a rope that has an orange harness on it, right? You, I own one. You own, I own a couple. You put the harness over your shoulders and then tie that to So you can either have one dude with e- one loop each on a shoulder or one guy with two loops on his shoulders. And then you drag the deer out that way. It's much easier. It's like, yep. it's, it's a bit of more of a compatible physical movement because you're not just dragging something you're just running forward and the things behind you and then you get to a log and you're like son of a bitch <laughs> any kind of impediment so that we went to that next and then we got smart and we got a cart now you mentioned the going we would when we hunted like deep in public land for whitetails we would take the cart in with us put all our gear and packs on the cart drag the cart in cross a creek with the cart stash the cart, put some leaves and shit up and whatever over, go up to our hunting spot and then have a 300-yard walk down to get the cart when mm-hmm. the deer was dead. And that revolutionized getting the deer out of the woods. And this is, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. Revolutionized the O'Brien family getting the deer out of the woods system. And so I think we stayed with the cart for a long time. But again, if you're not walking on a trail, a cart's not fun either. Now you, now you got to get wheels up over a log instead of just flopping a deer over there. But at the end of the day, the deer looks nice and pristine if it's, you know, lashed to a cart instead of drug, drug through the through the timber. So that's where we got. And then eventually, um, we never, I don't think growing up we ever quartered a deer out that I can remember. We always got it to the truck. And we had skinning parties in the garage at my house. And that was like the thing that I remember the most, hanging that deer up by the gamberls. And skinning it out and drinking beer when I was old enough. And so like, yeah. having a deer drinking hanging natty like bow. A, drinking natty bow, ostros, natty bows. What's the bow in natty? Bohemian. Is that right? Yeah. We were just talking about that last episode. But nat, is it natural bohemian? Yeah, that's what it is. National bohemian. Mm-hmm. That's yep. it. National bohemian. I, I can't believe beer. that there's a beer I, out there I think I've it's never. I think it's natural. Is it natural? Yeah, I think it's natural. Bohemian. Bohemian. I've never heard of it. Never heard of it? Natty Bo. You got to get it. Get, we got to do, we'll do, do an episode be, of Meat Eater Hunts out do east. Do I need to be east coast to get it? Yeah. I guess so. Yingling. Yeah, I know. As well. Yingling. That's, yeah, you got a boot like that to Montana, which I've done. I had a cag of Yingling at my wedding. You did? In North Carolina. Oh, man, we're getting off topic again. But anyway, the, hanging up a deer on a gambrel's in the garage with a tarp and a bunch of buckets for people to sit on. And one guy skinning and everybody talking shit and it being like a party mm-hmm. is so different than Man, a bunch just, of quarters. You just described like my experience, my entire hunting experience that I just did like two weeks ago. Yeah. I could send you pictures of this exact thing happening. Please do. Yeah, and there's buckets. You don't sit on chairs. You sit on buckets. Why? Because that's what's in the garage. Yeah. Tar- tarp in the garage. Blue tarp. Yeah. Was the tarp blue? How 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 far uh, after it, you skin? It was blue. See, I didn't even, I've never met Chaz in my life. I know everything about what he does over there. Yeah, I, I think 99% of tarps sold are blue, guys. Well, there's green tarps and gray ones. Hey, but 
how far when you guys have a skinning party, what's the end result with the meat? Like how far do you take the process? Oh, you go down you go down to just the bones, man. And you can also take so it like you're a, pretty much butchering and wrapping your meat at that point. Yeah, but basically. Mm-hmm. So but it's, you it's don't think the, you guys could just just swip, just pivot just a little bit and kind of skip the the skinning part on the gambrel and just have your table there and and slap down four quarters and start chopping. I'm gonna let Chaz answer this too, but I think it's like <laughs> gathering around a fire, right? That deer hanging is like something to gather around. It would be like a pile of meat no longer has that. Yeah, it would be like lighting four candles or having one big campfire. And I just like to gather around a campfire. Does that make sense, Chaz? I would agree. I would agree, especially if you're coming from a from a hunting camp with a bunch of guys up there who, after the first day, you can stand around, you know, admire admire your your day's work and and drink some beers and hang out with the boys. Like that's that's kind of a that, that's an experience in itself, which is enjoyable. And you kind of I guess you won't have that if you're just like, hey man, check out my cooler full of deer, but. Um, it's true. It's true. Yeah, I mean, I have in my garage now yeah, a butchering yeah. table. I would say it's an experience. Yeah, it it really is. I you're add, right, Yanni. I, I will, you're right no, from listen, a practical standpoint. You're right. Yeah, Let you're, you're just going to have to weigh how much you want to have that experience of that buck hanging there and everybody hanging around it and, and admiring it. Because I will say, like a great memory of mine and a thing that we still do every year in Wisconsin, the years that we do, you know, kill some deer. But there's a meat pole, and it's like a great picture when you look back on it, and you're like, oh, my God. Remember 17? We killed four bucks and eight does over the weekend. Like, that was great. And there's the whole group of people standing in front of it, everybody that attended that, you know, that year. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's something beautiful about a buck on a meat pole um, or just a deer, you know, hanging off a meat pole. But you just have to decide – you have to weigh. Do you, do you want to go through that pain of dragging it uphill a mile to get that uh, five or ten minutes of hanging around <laughs> admiring it? <laughs> yeah, my house, we would be, my dad, we would take, I feel like we would uh, often take the back straps off first and they would go in and be like frying them up in the kitchen while the rest of the work was done. And by the time you were done, you had a nice like little snack, little mm-hmm. thing. So I just have such fond... I remember like hunting as a kid was more about that skinning party than it was about the was the hunting itself. So hopefully that helps, Chaz. I, I feel like uh if you want to be practical uh and pragmatic, then you go with Yanni. And if you wanna, you know, you be emotional and and, and traditional, then you go with, with me. Does that does that help? I'm at least trying it Yanni's way once because making a, making multiple trips to to go get all to take off all your heavy clothes to come back down to to drag a deer out then another trip down to get another deer I mean I'm doing it I think I'm gonna try it the the honest way so uh, and if it's if it's not sentimental enough for me I'll go back to it but I'm at least gonna try it so thanks very much thanks for the input uh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna change my ways well, send me a picture of a bunch of dudes on buckets sitting. Sitting around a single quarter hanging from the rafters in your garage. <laughs> Maybe it works. We never know. Best of both worlds. All right. Thanks, Chaz. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for the call, Chaz. Good guys. Thanks for having me on. Much appreciated. See ya. That was a good one. I like that one, Yanni. I feel like that we learned we all learned something about each other. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I, I you, yeah, I don't even have the opportunity to pack a deer out like that anymore, which is kind of sad for me. I was such a dragger 
when I came to Colorado and I, my first, uh, fall ever up at, uh, pack country outfitters up there in Yampa. Um, my buddy, Jimmy had shown up who was a previous guide. He didn't guide anymore, <clears throat> but he showed up. He had a cow tag, a muzzleloader cow tag. So, you know, I'd only showed up there in August. So I was very new to this place and these people. And, uh, he shoots a cow, guts it, leaves it up on the hill, comes back. We kind of like have dinner, put the clients to, to the bed and we got to go get this cow. And, uh, he, of course he, and along with everybody else is thinking, well, we'll just run up there with, you know, frame packs and we'll quarter it out and walk down off the hill. I'm like, hold on. It's just right up on this hill behind camp. <laughs> you know what we do in Michigan? Just tie a rope to it. And because what we would do with the dough is actually take the, t- the, the front legs and kind of make like, and put them together with the head and neck. Because oh, yeah. if you don't do that, you got the heads kind of flopping everywhere yeah, and get caught and, on everything, yeah, yeah. you know? Yep, yep, so yep. we'd make a little bundle. And I'm like, Jimmy, how big is this cow? Oh, not a great big cow. I'm like, right, yeah, no problem. Let's go. Dude, I mean, <laughs> that was just a full-on exercising. I mean, it was downhill the whole way, but aspen logs everywhere. You know, it would get going too fast down the aspen leaves and take people out. We had a hell of a time. We laughed a lot and hooted a lot, but I can tell you that was the first and last <laughs> elk drug off yep. of a mountain out of that camp. Yeah, I just, you know, even in my own, in my life now, as I'm trying to, you just moved to Montana, I'm trying to set up, like, how, when I kill something, what do I do, right? I got a big butchering table in my garage, stainless steel, and all the things I'll need there. And, man, did I miss the gambrels this last couple of times I brought home quartered animals. I missed it. So this fall, I'm going to get some gambrels, like a three-pole, like, teepee-looking gambrel system, and put it on the concrete pad on the side of my house. So in case... And, I'm, and I really, around Montana or wherever else I go, want to find places where I can get the whole animal out. <laughs> so just so I can have That's it. called uh, private ranch hunting, Ben. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is that right? <laughs> is that... Oh, yeah, because all you have to do is go down to Yellowstone Game Processing, which is right there at the exit when you're going mm-hmm. to my house. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah. And uh, hang out there for an hour or two, and they receive lots of whole elk. Really? Lots. Like guys are wenching them into trucks and stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Dude, that seems insane. I, the only time this has ever happened to me, I was actually the first elk I ever killed, I think, was over here, that's like a decade ago or 12 years ago by Lake Ennis. I was on a, a hunt. I shot a bull right by Lake Ennis, right? Just right before the public land there in a private ranch. And we were literally hiking up. It was my dream to hike up into the Madison Range and go hunt. It's a bit, I'd never been to Montana before. It was my dream to go hunt in the Madison Range. We didn't even make it to the mountains. We were in some damn ag field overlooking the lake. And here stands a bull just by himself with a bunch of cattle. And we went over there and shot him. Dude drives out. He's got a flat a flat top pickup and like he goes. Flat bed. Flat bed. Yeah. Flat bed. And he just gets his winch out and <clears throat> and drags this thing over there, puts it in his flat bed and off we go. And I thought, you know, that wasn't what I was looking for experience-wise. <laughs> I'm glad I got this elk, but, we, you know, this is what I would have done. Then we hung it up in some big pole barn, and they skinned it, and then it was just – it didn't feel like the elk hunt that I was looking mm-hmm. for, the prototypical. You're real picky. You want that for white-tailed deer, but you don't want that for elk. You're right. See, and I, I like it going back to Ohio versus Denver, you know. It's a little bit of Ohio, a little bit of Denver mm-hmm. in there. A little bit of Colorado, a little bit of Ohio. Uh, all right, man. Well – I like Ask the Eagle. 
I feel like we should, we're just gonna keep. Are we done? Is that it? Yeah, we have another it. call. Yeah, we're done. Oh. That's it. Burr, burr. We've, we've, we've hit the. We've hit that time, kids. We've got to go. Yeah, that was fun. Those were good questions. Those were, and I really do like Ask the Eagle. I think people out there like it. We've got uh, another hundred emails to uh, to draw from. So if if you didn't get it this time, if you didn't uh, see Yanni's social post, then email us your question, thdatthemedia.com, and label it Ask the Eagle, and we'll get it in the rotation for what it's going to be a monthly affair here at the Hunting Collect. Yeah, because I have fun doing it. And remember, there are no stupid questions, but there are good ones and bad ones and stupid entertaining people. ones and boring ones. So, That's right. uh, if you want to make it on here, uh, think it through yeah. a little bit. As we say with not so short moments, not too long, but not too short. Just the right length and the right intention. You know what I was told in a uh, email the other day. <laughs> Steve, Giannis, Remy, et al. So he's addressing you as well, Ben. Sure. His first sentence says, As gentlemen that don't seem to value brevity in the spoken and written word, I hope you'll bear with me and endure the length of my email. (laughs) That is a great way to kick off an email. Yeah. Because he's kind of like punching you in the face, but at the same time giving you a hug. Which is how we treat each other. Yeah. And so, like, obviously you're going to read his email. Yeah. You're like, well, what's this guy got to say that's so damn important? <laughs> Maybe we should have him on. Yeah. He he was, uh, I don't know if it just took him a while to get through the Meteor podcast, but he had he had listened to the Meat Tree episodes uh, and uh, wanted to write in about that. I won't get into that, but uh, I actually value brevity immensely. Yes. When I write... I'm one of those people that I take it to heart to try to never use the word very, because I figure that there, if you want to say very excited, there is a word that means in the English language that means very excited that you could use instead. But when it comes to producing television that we do, brevity is key. It's like if you have somebody that's long-winded and can't get a point out succinctly, it's going to make it tough to edit, man. And um, it just gets boring, you know? And yeah. you kind of like, you have to realize that you don't always get everything that you want, but it's more important, more valuable just to have stuff clipping along, moving along. And uh, and yeah. Yeah. So I mean, anyways. Being able, to, being able to say what you mean, in a podcast sense, we just like to talk. And that's what that's what this is. But be in the written word, being able to say what you mean without having to bemoan. The fact, being able to clearly and concisely express your point is a skill. In the written word, but also in the TV show, hunting world, where you're trying to explain something, but you don't have a lot of, a lot of time to do it, and you got to get right through it and move on to the next thing, and it's got it all. Everything has to build on itself. So there's a lot in this world, but yeah, keep them short, keep them concise. You, now you know what Yanni likes. Brevity. Now, now you know what he likes. And and he's and, and he's a stickler about who comes on. Asks I'd even Eagle. like to have a T-shirt that just says brevity. brevity. But it's that's all it says. That's all just it brevity. Says. Period. All right. Well, we're very very happy. Very 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 happy to have you every time, Yanni. Well, thanks, Ben. It's always gonna... a pleasure to be on, and uh, appreciate all the folks writing in with their questions. Oh yeah, this is one of my favorite things we do, and we're gonna keep doing it here at the Hunting Collective. Say bye, Giannis. Ata. That's how you say bye. Oh, Lafayette. Ah, ata.
That's it. That's all. Another episode in the books, 156. I'll get the number right this time. Thank you to Giannis. Thank you to everybody that called in. Uh, thanks for your service, Captain Chaz. Uh, it was great to hear from everybody. And, and to those folks that we did not get to, um, including my good friend. And I, I want to read you an email from one of our we, – we did not get to a gentleman named Tim King who had a good story for us. Um, we didn't get to him, so apologies to Tim King. Um, and he emailed me, hey, you didn't call me. What's up, man? And I said, oh, sorry. We, we just ran out of time. We had to vacate the studio. And his reply was, that is really unfortunate. I was looking forward to talking with you guys. I even took some time off work and turned over a customer with a nice sale to a coworker. This is the closest I have come to meeting a hero. And the old saying reigns true, I guess. Don't try and meet them. You will end up disappointed. Thanks for all the content during these trying times. Everyone appreciates it. Ex-cult follower, Tim K. So we lost a guy. We, we lost somebody, Phil. Uh, I replied to him uh, and just said, uh, Tim, I feel deeply responsible to make this up to you. So in time, I will. Until then, be your own hero. I'll keep the Kool-Aid on ice until you return. Best, Ben O'Brien. Uh, so, Tim, if you're listening, maybe you're not listening because we've we've upset you so much. Uh, we apologize. We will make it up to you on the next Ask the Eagles segment next time around. And everyone else that wrote in, the other over 100 people that wrote in with questions for us, we are going to do uh, as many Ask the Eagles segments as we can do in 2021. So we have those in the hopper. So watch out for an email from me or a phone call from me to set it up for next time. So thank you for that. And Next, we have two more shows, Phil. Two more shows in 2021. And um, the first one is Clay Newcomb. We got Clay Newcomb coming up next week. Now, Clay is going to, you know, if, if folks haven't heard since the last time he's been on the show, he's joined Meat Eater. He's now a meat eater, a person who works at Meat Eater. Uh, and we're very, very, very happy to have Clay. Clay's a fantastic human. And so next year, we're going to have him on in a pretty regular cadence for a segment we call Guard the Gate. Guard the Gate is a segment that you're going to hear. And if you, if you don't know about that, go and listen to his first appearance on the show, and you'll learn all about that. But you're going to be hearing a lot more from Clay, including next week where we talk about faith in the outdoors in depth. We're talking about guarding our pursuits from folks that would love to take it away. So we'll be here next week. Say bye, Phil. Goodbye. Because I can't go a week without doing wrong. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. 
I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.